Let us pray. Lord, you are surprising. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have made all things new. Long ago, you called your church to love beyond all social and cultural differences. You gave us the gift of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts so that we could live out this love because you are the God of promise and your words are trustworthy and true. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may it rise up in this, this day like a gift from the spring of water of life to refresh our thirsty souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our responsive reading comes from Psalm 148 this morning, and we're reading out of the uh, New Living Translation. And once again, your part is the highlighted, underlined part. And before we start, I'm going to apologize because I've got severe sinus infections, so please bear with me. It says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. This morning is all about God. Would you agree? Or is it all about you? I thought about that as I was getting dressed this morning. Is it all about God this morning or is it all about me? What should I wear? How should I go? What should I put on my feet? Should I have a shower? Should I comb my hair? Uh, what am I doing? And, and I thought to myself, although I spend time in devotional, when I first get up on Sunday morning and I, and I read through, through the sermon and, and, I, and I think about how, how the word sounds, and I thought, is it really about God or is it really about me? And there's a fine line, isn't there? Because sometimes the things that we think we're doing for God are really for us. So the next song we're going to sing is called Change My Heart, O God, because the realization that sometimes the two blur should help us to understand that we can't always figure out where the line is. Did I put on a suit this morning for me or for you? because I'm pretty confident God doesn't care. Because this morning I worshiped him in my pajamas, my comfy clothes, and I think that was okay. And then when I read my Bible, I hadn't combed my hair yet or shaved. I barely had had a coffee. And, and I'm not always the most greatest company at that time. But does God care? Probably not. I, I haven't found it anywhere, 
that it says that if I don't have nice dress pants and a suit jacket on that I shouldn't worship. And, and for us this morning with the passage that's coming up, with the formation of the new early church, we saw last week we talked about fellowship and how that brought people in from everywhere of all sorts of economic backgrounds and all sorts of different persuasions. We move into the formation of the early church and the realization of how God is working in their midst. And when we get to that point, it's difficult because we are human to separate what is our ego and what is for God. So this morning, I'd like us to sing this song as a prayer, and it's called Change My Heart, O God. Let us pray. Lord, you are the Lord of deliverance. And each day we awaken to your goodness and our hearts cry out as we set about our tasks of the day. Lord, let us not hinder your love, but let it strengthen our will as we offer thanks in every simple gesture of everything that we do this day. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the grace of Jesus Christ, and through the unity of the Father, may we do all things for your name and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading, which are the, the uh, messages drawn from this morning, comes from Acts. And it's cha Acts chapter 11, where the early church has formed. There's been many things go on. The fledgling church has started to find its footing. And now God is doing wondrous things in their midst. Let us hear. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But, then, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. And then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said. And while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, wild animals, reptiles, and birds. And I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all that it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just three men who had, see, who had been sent from Caesarea arrived to the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him, send messengers to Joppa 
and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he fell upon us in the, at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. This is the word of God. Thank you. Preconception, misconception. That's the name of the sermon. Now, so, some of you may know what that means, but I'll, I'll explain it as I go. The beginning of the inclusive church is found right here in Acts 11. Now, notice I say inclusive because when they refer to Gentiles, Gentiles are anyone who is not Jewish. So there's no specification that it just was Greeks or it was any other race, but it was everyone. All of a sudden, God had thrown wide the doors, but here is the misconception. They were already thrown wide long before that, but God's people had lost their way about from bringing God to the world, and God sent Jesus Christ so everyone could be in relationship with God, and everyone would know that they could. Race, nationality, sex, economic situation, language were all tossed out the window in that one moment. Get up, Peter, kill. No, Lord, no, oh, misconception. I have never done anything that you've said or our Jewish laws have said. I shouldn't. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I have because I'm not listening to God right now. Yeah, it's, do you see what starts to happen? God has brought all down these barriers. But Peter says something profound, as Peter quite often does. And in the midst of all his, all his going off the wall, he says, who am I to stand in God's way? It's a good question, isn't it? Peter says the one thing that the church continually has lost its way on over the years. As individuals and as a church, we have the preconceived notion that we know what church is. We do church well. Wait a minute. We do church. But my question is, are we truly misled in the fact that we don't do church, we, we are church, yeah, we are church. There's no doing church. There's no doing church, there's being church. But often, don't we find ourselves being like Peter's detractors, shouting from the sidelines, wait a minute, that's not how we do things here. That's not how church goes. <laughs> 
this is how church goes. Because, well, we know we do church well. I've always wondered when I hear this, if people have ever read this passage. Now, now that's not, when I say read, one of the things in Bible study that the first thing that any, that I always do is get people to read and teach them to read. Now, I know a lot of you have PhDs and all this other stuff, and, and that's wonderful. You have lots of degrees, but are you biblical scholars? No, most of you aren't, but if you are, you'll, you'll know the answer to this question. You have to learn to read what's on the page, not what's in here. First thing about reading the Bible, get rid of what's here, read what's there. Ah, and you'll see a different story emerges. You'll almost always see a different story emerges because we often get hung up on the part where Peter has to go kill and eat and miss the part where Peter's detractors are saying to him, stop this. What happens to Peter's detractors when he tells him the story? Oh, oh, <laughs> we were wrong. They do the one thing that constantly is called from the beginning of the Bible all the way through. The one thing that God asks his people to do all the time, and that is repent. I was wrong, God was right. I was wrong, God was right. That's hard for us, isn't it? As people, that's hard for us because truly we want to be right and in control all the time. The term preconception, misconception is how teachers determine what their class knows when they're trying to teach them something and what it is they, and, and, and why it is they believe they know what they think they know. Because you can't teach anybody anything if they already believe they know. Is that true? Because there's no place to be. But a lot of times we, are, have, we have these misconceptions and we have preconceived notions from our misconceptions about what things are really like. For instance, I'll give you one. My daughter and I were talking about Never refreeze meat. Everybody agree with that? Where'd that come from? Never refreeze meat, why? Well, perhaps if you, if you thaw it on the counter and it already gets, it already gets bad, then you've fro you're refreezing frozen meat. But what if you thaw it in the fridge where it's good? Can you put it back in the freezer? Yeah, you can. It, it's a misconception that, that you cannot refreeze meat. You, of course you can. Does it maybe change the flavor a little? Yes, that's, but that's disputable too. There are people say, I can't I put enough spices on it. I can't tell anyways, right? But you can, but so where did it come from? Our, we have this misguided, we have this misconception that you can't do it. And so we have a preconceived notion that if we take out that package of, that package of, of, of uh, steaks and we go, oh, we're going out for dinner, we can't put them back in the freezer. But it's not founded anywhere. It's not founded anywhere. Somebody just said it. Perhaps it comes from the days when they didn't really have refrigeration. For me, I know my mother told me for years, no, don't put that back in the freezer. Okay, why? Well, because mom said it. It's like the story of 
the young, young couple got married and the, the woman goes to make a nice dinner and she cuts the ends off the roast and puts the roast in the roasting pan and puts it in the oven. And her new husband asks her, what you cut the ends off the roast for? And she says, well, I don't know. My mother always did that, cut the ends off the roast. Maybe I should go ask mom. So she calls her mom and mom says, I don't know, my mom always did it. And so she, she, she goes back to grandma and grandma says, well, I cut the ends off the roast because it didn't fit in the pan. That, that, it, we live with things like that, and, and we're, we're happy and confident in them. But they're not really true. They're misconceptions that guide our preconceptions. And, and we do it with science, too. So, and yet, we, we, like to, we like to believe science, because, and yet it's proven wrong constantly. Drink coffee. Don't drink coffee. Drink coffee. Coffee's good for you. Coffee's bad for you. How many times have you seen the commercials change? Eggs. Don't eat eggs. Ooh. Oh, you should eat eggs. It's proven wrong all the time. And yet we gladly accept these new discoveries and findings from science, and we go, oh, okay, they, they were wrong, now they're right. Who said we have to accept that? Because we hear the word empirical. There's empirical evidence. Well, who gave us the empirical evidence? The people who need the empirical evidence. You see what I'm saying? It's done by man. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, I'm not saying for a moment that science and religion are incompatible. As a matter of fact, they're quite compatible. Does anybody remember when, when Lost in Space, the original black and white series, first came out? And they crash landed on a planet. What's the first thing they did? Prayed. Find the episode, it's on, it's on YouTube. The first thing they did was pray because they wanted to show people that science and religion weren't incompatible and this was a space show that respected God and yes, man's gonna go out into, out, into the, out into the skies one day and crash somewhere. It's not that they're incompatible. But the problem is, once again, that we like to take what's made of man quicker than we take what's made of God. I'll give you my personal struggle. Quantum physics. Now, I don't understand quantum physics. I don't understand the first thing about it. I'm not even sure it's a real thing. To be honest, I'm not. I am not sure that quantum physics is a real thing. But some scientist somewhere tells me that it is and tells everybody else that it is, and they jump on the bandwagon and go, quantum physics, there's string theory. I can't see it, I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to believe it. That's okay. Now, other people struggle with quantum physics or just me? <laughs> Probably just me. But here's the thing that, that, why is it easier, why is it easier to believe a quantum physics scientist than it is to believe the Bible? We struggle, we read, we look at passages, we, we tr struggle about whether what being said there is true, and then we go about living our lives as if it's not. Because we can do that with quantum physics. Because it's out there, we don't have to worry about it, so we can accept it, that's easy. The other part is hard. I, I'll give you another for instance. The Bible teaches we're supposed to be stewards of everything God has created, his planet and his people. Have we always been that? 
Now we have, we have a massive amount of, of what? Uh, global warming, carbon footprints, reducing your carbon footprints, uh, living cleanly, recycling, um, being a, fighting against any sort of, of, of disenfranchisement. We have all of those. But should they have been there in the first place? No. Because God, in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, gave man, the garden of men and women, the garden of Eden, and said, take care of my garden. Just don't do this or this. Okay, you can't do those things. But other than that, you can do anything else you want. So what's the first thing they do? The two things they're told not to do. Don't eat from that tree. They like the word of the snake. And, and that's a nature of us, isn't it? We like to be led by the things that seem easier. And so we haven't always taken care of God's creation. We haven't always taken care of God's people. Because we haven't always taken care of ourselves and God. We read scripture and then we move on. We don't embrace scripture and say, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to us? So when I say, when, when we do a study, the first thing we need to learn to do is to read what's there. Peter, who has done all sorts of strange stuff, we will believe Peter, but notice Peter has how many people with him? Six. Because even Peter knows that his word is not enough. Peter has six witnesses who help witness and who say, yes, this happened. Does this sound like the church to you? Ah, yes. See, now you're starting to see how the church should be working. We stand with each other because we have seen God's vision for the church. And here's the other thing. You notice when they stand up and they talk and they say, this is what happened, they do what? The people they're talking to believe. They believe and they do what? Remember the scripture? It was up on the screen. It's in your bulletin. You can look at it. They worshiped God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing something. We have no idea what it's about. Thank you. We celebrate. We live in it. We're going to do it. Yeah. Something you don't even understand. Because, remember, Peter's talking about unclean things. Gentiles. You ate with Gentiles. Ugh. If people don't understand what that's like, that's like going down to find any garbage dump along here. Any homeless person, actually get a group of them. Let's go dumpster diving and have some lunch. That's what eating with the unclean was to the Jews. You don't do it. It leaves you unclean. You can't even enter the camp afterwards. You are unclean. And God is saying, that's all gone. And they're going, in a moment, they're celebrating that God has changed everything. And they stand behind each other and with each other. God was showing Peter that the body of Christ has changed. And the body of Christ is completely inclusive of absolutely everyone, no matter who or where or when they're from. And that's something today 
that is so incredibly important for us to realize that we are, don't do church. Even if we do church well, we don't do church. We are church. We fenced the table of the early church, and then we decided, okay, we'll let everybody in. We've held people up with our dogma by saying this isn't what we do. We've slowed people back with our traditions by saying, no, we don't do it that way. But I'd like to ask you this question this morning, and this is the one I'd like you to take out of here. Who are you to stand in the way of God? Peter said, who am I to stand in the way of God? This is a good time to get out of God's way. It's time to be the church, and it's time to be the church that the world is longing to see. The unified, the one-voice church that loves God and wants to take Jesus to the world. We are the hands and feet of Christ, and we are the voice of Christ in the world. And it's time for the people of God to say so. So let us sing with enthusiasm and confidence, I am the church. In this season, while we're still rejoicing of Easter, let us offer our prayers and thanksgiving to the, for the church and the world, saying, Oh God, raise us to new life in Christ. For the life of the church, that our generous witness may broaden your table, and may it find a place in all who want to grow and love. For the welfare of your church, Lord, may all leaders and young people People young and old strive to live together in common harmony while serving your common good. And for the love that you have made known to us in Jesus Christ, Father, may we make it known to this community. For this, Lord, and all other blessings, we give you thanks and praise. And for so many blessings, Lord, and for so many answered prayers, we give you thanks through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray this way. Our Father, Our Father who is in heaven, Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.